Well, Merry Christmas to all of you. And, uh, trust that you'll have a time with family or friends and get to enjoy uh, a time together, uh, perhaps some good food, but maybe just uh, a brief moment, if not an extended time, of just worshiping our Savior. This is what the season is about. This is a reminder of how much God loves us and how he sent his son uh, in the darkest of, of times. Last Sunday, my appeal was to make room for Jesus because of who he is. And I believe the, the overwhelming evidence of Jesus being holy and humble and highly exalted ought to be proclaimed among those who are unaware of who he is and what he has done. Unfortunately, instead of receiving him, most people ignore Christ or they mock him. Even at Christmas, though many will appreciate the season and take time to celebrate by exchanging gifts or, or eating food or, or being with family, the season is more about materialism than is about um, worshiping the Messiah. A lot of self-indulgence, happy holidays rather than the worship of Jesus. And today, I want us to focus on peace. What Jesus did by bringing um, peace to the world that we fully uh, haven't received all of the peace. But I want to focus on peace in a world where there is no peace. I mean, there's no peace in the Middle East. There's no peace in Ukraine this, this morning. Actually, I, I looked up and to find out how many countries are at war right now. And uh, it's estimated 45 countries right now have war going on. You hear about the big ones, you're maybe not familiar with all the others. We have no peace at the U.S. border, no peace between political parties, no peace in many of the public schools or in many marriages, and even in hearts and minds, there's an unsettledness that there is no peace. There's a lot of anxiety. We live in a dark and distressed world. Where is the peace? In the Old Testament, there are several passages uh, that speak of the coming of Christ. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it's a, it's a beautiful passage about the Prince of Peace. If you don't have a Bible, pick up the black Bible in front of you and you can turn to page 536. Let's, let's hone in just for a, a brief moment on Isaiah's prophecy about the Savior, the Messiah, and the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says this. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Perhaps this was on a Christmas card that you've received or you've given this season. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I've seen the Christmas cards that have this verse, and it's so beautiful in the snow that's coming down over a, uh, you know, a rural church or over a home that's lit with candles. And perhaps that's the context you've often read this verse. But I want to take just a few moments to understand when Isaiah writes these words, what is the context of the culture? What's happening in the world at that moment that he writes this? And it's more than just a pretty uh, passage to put on a card, but it actually speaks so desperately needed truth and hope because the world was dark. Today I want to just briefly uh, go over a couple of things where peace could be found because this is what Isaiah is telling us in the midst of this passage that peace is found where you seek, 
Peace is found in what you see, and then peace is found in who you savor. And so we'll walk through uh, the surrounding passages to understand what Isaiah is saying to us this morning and what he's been saying to us for generations about peace. The background of this passage alone, and we would back up even to uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 8, but in, in 2 Kings is the, the whole framework of this time period. Ahaz was king. And Ahaz was a wicked king, rotten to the core. He was responsible for bringing idolatry into Israel. He's the one who introduced the worship of Molech into the Israel culture. Molech was the savage god of the Ammonites. Ahaz even erected a statue of Molech and put a furnace at the feet of his of this god so the children could be thrown into the fire and burned as offerings to this god of Molech. Superstition was everywhere in the culture. Gold and silver statues were worshipped in the homes. Ahaz also shut down the temple and left the temple to decay and waste. He had abandoned the God of Israel. Under his leadership, true worship of God was extinguished. Isaiah warned Ahaz and rebuked him. He urged Ahaz, turn back to God, but Ahaz would not listen. The result was darkness in their day. What's so alarming to the, is the parallel to our day, where our nation and our world continue to run away from God in the true worship of our Lord and look to idols to meet their needs. Idolatry was eating away at the nation of Israel, which ultimately conquered the, the northern tribes, and idolatry is eating the way at our world today, I believe. So I want us to look back to Isaiah chapter 8. To understand kind of the, the context leading up to this Prince of Peace that's being promised. I want you to go back up to verse 19. Middle of that paragraph. And I want you to notice here. What we're going to see here is, is peace is found where you seek. And so where were they seeking? Well, it wasn't the Lord, obviously, from the context I've given you. It says, and when they say to you, and it's the Lord speaking. And when they say to you, inquire of the medians, mediums and, and the necromancers. Who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Certainly that's, that's something taking place today. A, a medium was trans, uh, translated in Greek. When they took the, uh, the Old Testament Hebrew and they translated into Greek, the word in the Greek from this passage literally means uh, ventriloquist. Someone who is a dummy that someone's speaking through. A medium was a dummy being spoken through by a demon. You're seeking wisdom from this medium, this, this uh, necromancer, uh, calling of the dead. And the demons would use these individuals in their position to speak falsehoods away from God so that people would never turn to God. You think it's interesting. You think it's, it's, it's attractive. The reality is, he's saying, shouldn't you just be seeking God and not some ventriloquist demon? To start context for this Prince of Peace who is a wonderful counselor. An example of what was taking place in this day of seeking idols and, and other truths was, is found in uh, Psalm 106, verse 36 through 38. Same time period. It says, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. 
They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. This is surrounding this beautiful verse that we share at Christmas. You have to understand this birth of this baby was was being promised in a time period where they were murdering their children to, to satisfy the demons and their idols. It was the worship of Molech that led people to sacrifice their own children. But are we much different in our day? Our nation has nearly one million abortions a year. I know that's a, uh, it's a controversial subject. But when I compare the wisdom of the, the mediums to the people of this day and the wisdom of our culture today that speaks to people that says that ought to be an option, I just find it not seeking the Lord's wisdom. It's detrimental. What is the stimulus of so many abortions? The Guttmacher Institute says that 86% of abortions are by unmarried people. It's not a condemnation on these people. But it shows you that if when we don't follow the Lord's command to, to preserve ourselves for our spouse and remain committed to a, a, a male-female marriage for a lifetime... When we become a promiscuous culture that is supported and applauded, we end up with the majority of the murdering of children from those who are unwed in a secure relationship. Perhaps the culture's push for promiscuous behavior ought to be fought more. The church stands up against abortion, but do we also love people who and guide them away from a promiscuous relationship that would lead them to making that decision? God's directive to preserve yourself for marriage is is essential. Now, the good news is, statistically, that abortions have declined from 1973 when it became legal to 2020, the latest uh, statistics that I was able to pull. The past, uh, in the past 30 years, abortions are down 50%, and this was before the reversal of Roe versus Wade. But that certainly doesn't satisfy all. Our own Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, is launching a reproductive freedom tour across the country in 2024 as a campaign issue. I don't preach politics, but I will tell you what God's Word says. And I'll compare it to what the Bible's culture has been and warn us. She says, I will continue to fight for our fundamental freedoms while bringing together those throughout America who agree that every woman should have the right to make the decision about her own body and not the government. This is the same administration that fought in court to maintain vaccine mandates for federal employees and military personnel. That you have no right over your body. We will tell you what to do. But when it comes to abortion, when the majority of them are are, are aborted by single mothers and they continue to fund that, do you see the, the disconnect from the biblical mandates and that we continue to applaud and approve in our culture? It's devastating. And now there's a dangerous new proposal in Virginia. The Virginia House and Senate introduced a proposed amendment that if passed would protect abortion in the state's constitution up to the moment of birth. 
You understand that, you know, when Roe versus Wade was, was overturned, there were a lot of people upset as if abortion access had been limited. And reality is, in Virginia alone, you could still have an abortion up to the 26th week. Whether you agree with that or not, that was the law. But that doesn't satisfy our legislatures and those who are pushing this agenda. The resolution will be taken up in the assembly when the assembly reconvenes in January. Virginia Senate and House of Delegates can pass the resolution by a simple majority during two consecutive legislative sessions. Both houses must then pass a bill sending the proposed amendment before voters at the state's next, uh, uh, at the state's next November general election. I wonder if this was going on in, in, in Mary's day, if the culture would have said, you're an unmarried woman. Yes, promise to Joseph, but you would be best for you in your young age just to get rid of the child. And had she listened to the wisdom of the world at that moment, if that was the push, we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas today, would we? Jesus said in, in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 19, People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So you have to understand that, that kind of sentiment when we go back to Isaiah chapter 8 and look at the very next verse in verse 20. Why is it that they love evil? He says, to the teaching and to the testimony, if you will not seek according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They were seeking the wisdom of, in verse 19 of, of mediums and, and necromancers and, and, and sacrificing their own children to the God of Moloch because that's what the government and that's what their, their culture was pushing. But what does it say in verse 20? What should they be doing? It, it, this is almost a cheer in the Hebrew to the teaching and to the testimony, to God's word and, and to the, our faith. This is what we believe. This is what drives us. Not what culture or our government tells us. We should be proclaiming God's word. That makes the difference. The problem in our world and even in our own lives, so often we've abandoned the truth of God and gone to what is expedient or what is most comfortable. No one seems to be cheering for God's word to be proclaimed anymore. Or even gatherings of people calling themselves churches that have abandoned the word of God. What happens to people in this situation when they abandon the teaching of God's word and the testimony? Look at verse 21. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, be behold, distress. And darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. When you abandon God, you abandon his word, you, you, you stop surrendering your mind and, and have a renewal of, of your mind from his word, you will be distressed and in darkness. It's amazing to me watching our culture continue to find new ways of finding peace, hope, love, and joy. And they find it in all the wrong places that may give them temporary joy, temporary peace, but it's not lasting. Because God is not in their thoughts or the equation of their life. This is the reality of Isaiah's day. This is why they need hope that there's a Savior coming 
Peace is found in where you seek. Where are you seeking peace? Who are you going to? Where are you finding the peace that is so needed? And I want you to notice it as we begin uh, chapter 9, peace is found in what you see. What do you see? You typically find what you look for. In verse 1 of chapter 9, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, which is actually Galilee in the first century, where Jesus would walk the earth. But in the later time, he was made glorious, the way of the sea, the land between the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff on his, uh, for his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. There is hope coming. What do you see? When you look for the Lord, what does God provide? It's an amazing day when you can see the light coming. And what did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. He's the one who's going to walk into Galilee. And Galilee would be the place not just for the Hebrew people, but for the nations. You notice the prophecy here? It's not just for the nation, one, Israel. It's for all the nations as the light comes to the earth. For those who are in a sense of doom and gloom that would be no more. For those who would trust the one who would come. And so it leads me to verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, go on to verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and his righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This prophetic promise of peace was in the midst of the murdering of children and the walking away from the worship of God because people need to be reminded there is hope. There was still a remnant in the culture that needed to know there is God and he had not abandoned them. Same truth for us today. I want us to walk back through verse 6 for a moment. You notice it says, to us a child is born. A child born taking on humanity. It speaks of Jesus who is divine, taking on human flesh. He was coming to take on the form of, of man. Though he was fully God, he took on flesh, limiting himself. As we spoke of last week, Jesus was a real human being, not a figment of people's imagination. He was taking on flesh as a man. And because of this, he was able to be faithful and sympathetic to our, uh, our state and become our high priest. And it says... To us, a son is given. This shows God's sovereign grace. It's God's son, not Joseph's son. He's divine. And he's given to us, those who see, those who savor this child. 
We didn't earn Christ. We weren't good enough to receive the gift as if we had, uh, it was a payment. It was us in our dark state that was given to us in spite of us. We just had to look, seek, and savor. His titles here is, of his characteristics, I want you to notice, wonderful counselor. Today, so many people look for wisdom. They, they look for answers and the meaning of life. Their solutions to their problems are, are found in psychologists and psychiatrists and analysts and counselors. Or we read books, and none of those are necessarily bad. But if they're a replacement of the true, wonderful counselor, then we're misguided and, and actually going in the wrong direction. Too many try everything to find Hope from a counselor that does not satisfy, but Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Some seek demons. Some seek uh, other methods. And they still lack what they need. But when we try the counselor that not only is a counselor, but is wonderful, you notice. A counselor who knows everything. You know, one of the issues on a counselor, they have to listen to you and understand who you are before they can give counsel. The great thing about God, he knows you because he created you. Go to him with your your issues, your problems, your, your distress, your anxiety, and just lay it all before him. Say, God, I need your help. Give me wisdom, your wisdom. Give me hope. Uh, help me understand the next reaction or action I must take. Wouldn't it be great to have a counselor that knows everything about you? And those are the greatest moves for you to make. You notice here it says the mighty God. Have you ever lacked strength? I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't have any energy, any strength. I, I want to throw in the towel. And here there's a wonderful counselor who is also a mighty God. One who can enable you to overcome any of the difficulties that we encounter. One of the most amazing things in counseling is that people say, well, here's my problem. And the counselor listens and responds, well, here's a solution. Go try it. And they have nothing else to interact with you about until you return. But here, this wonderful counselor says, come to me with all your burdens and I will carry you and help you every day because I'm never going to leave you nor abandon you. This counselor who's very personal, he's very present. Some people listen to counselors and they're looking for counseling that just confirms what they already believe or what they're already doing and God will never do that. He'll look at you and when there's things that are out of line, he'll correct you. He'll show you a different way. And sometimes we agree and sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we obey and sometimes we disobey to our own detriment. Our mighty God is the one who provides resurrection power. The God who created the universe. The one who is capable of defeating sin, destroying Satan, killing death, snatching people headed for hell. This is the mighty God that was promised in Isaiah that would be the Christ child. The child born unto us. He is not only the child from the manger. He is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. And he is the everlasting father. Showing Jesus Christ fathered eternity. And he fathers eternal life for all those who will believe. And he concludes there with the prince of peace. Jesus brings three types of peace. He gives us peace with God because we're at enmity with God. Remember, we, we follow our own way until we're confronted with the truth of Christ. And he gives us peace with God, Romans chapter 5. He also gives us the peace of God, a peace that passes all understanding from, from Philippians chapter 4. 
And ultimately, he will bring a kingdom of peace for eternity. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, he is our peace. This is what people need. Is this what you want? The last verse here, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of, the, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and hold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The peace that we desire will never be brought by man. As much as we will pray for peace in the Middle East, as much as we will pray for peace in our own families, in our own culture, ultimately God has to bring the peace. As there are divisions even among some in this, uh, in this room, perhaps relationally outside of this room, and all these different things, who is going to establish the peace? Only God. So do you seek the desire for God to bring a peace that will bring no end to that? Jesus is the peaceful sovereign that never ends, and he is the one who brings peace that will never end. Jesus has the right to rule. He will establish his kingdom with justice and righteousness. People will wonder, what in the world is going to, to, to be established that's greater than what it already is? Christ himself will enter the world and bring a peace that the world could not replicate. It begins when we seek him, and then when we see him, and then when we savor him. This morning, I wonder if you really savor Christ or you're just familiar with him. Do you hunger for Christ and do you hunger for a relationship that is intimately close? That when anxiety or, or, or distraction comes in, you, you veer back and focus on Christ alone. Where there is no Savior, there is no hope. With, with no Savior, there's no wise counsel. There's no mighty God. There's, there's no mighty power. There's no mighty, uh, uh, or no everlasting life. And there is no peace. So in the New Testament, the last verse I'll share with you today is John chapter 14, verse 27. As Jesus was preparing for his own death and resurrection and ascension, he said this to his disciples, which is the same words he would say to us today until he returns. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. This is the the hope of our Christmas. His peace is with us. It's not a sentimental peace of just a few moments with a day off and time with family. It's a peace that satisfies our soul. And with that peace, we can trust in him, regardless of what's taking place in our world or in all of the world. We have nothing to fear because Jesus is inviting us to trust in him and receive his eternal peace. Might you do that even today? Let's pray together. Fathers, you've outlined peace for us in this transformational journey of First, what are we seeking? And perhaps this morning we need to evaluate, where do we seek hope and life and, 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 and wisdom for decisions? Where, where do we seek for contentment? Anything that replaces you will never give us eternal, lasting peace. Father, today I pray that we would understand that this through this transformational journey of peace, it involves recognizing Jesus is the only source of peace and that every one of us in this room and even watching online 
if we haven't already, may we recognize him as peace and receive him as our peace. Trusting in Christ's sovereignty, releasing control, resisting the temptation to pursue darkness and choose contentment in Christ and prioritize prayer in loving and receiving our Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing peace promised many, many years ago. And as you promised to come into this world the first time, you've also promised that you'll come a second time to receive all those who are your own. Now is the time to receive that peace. So we're prepared to receive you when you return. That second coming is going to be glorious. I pray that we would maintain our peace from you until that day. 